Let's pray. Holy God, merciful Father, we do thank you for the great love you have shown us in Christ Jesus. And we ask this morning that we are filled with such love. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So last week, right after worship, we celebrated the renewal of marriage vows with five couples. And if you were here, you could not miss the depth, the breadth, the expression of such great love. And next time we do it, I'm going to make sure everybody has Kleenex because it was that moving. But if you take a look at the words themselves of the vows, they're pretty straightforward. The vows say to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish according to God's holy word. And I promise to be faithful to you until death separates us. Pretty standard, straightforward marriage vows. And yet, and yet, the depth and breadth of love that was expressed was greater than these words. Because what you found is that there is a love that has been forged over time. It is a love that is giving. It is a love that is self-sacrificial. This is no mere romantic love, right? Right? It, that, that's faded a long time ago. The puppy love is no longer there. This is a love that has been forged, that has been tested, that is true, that is giving. It is an expression of the deepest sense of love. And that expression of love is essential in a marriage. That is what unites a man and a woman, a husband and wife, and has their love endure over time. In a very real sense, it is the same type of love that needs to be in all of us as followers of Christ. It's love... And that love that we're talking about is an essential aspect of being a follower of Jesus. To say that you you follow Jesus, but that you don't love Him, is to say that you don't know Jesus. And that you really aren't His follower. To say that you love Jesus, but don't love your fellow believer. Don't love your neighbor as yourself, is to say that you don't know Jesus and that you aren't following Him. You see, if you take the love out of being a Christian, what's left? Ritual. Going through the motions. See, it's the love that God has for each one of us. It's the love that God has for you in Christ Jesus that draws us, that gives us life. And it is that same love that we are to have with one another. So today, we're going to explore one of the greatest passages of love ever written. We're going to learn from God's holy word, love the more excellent way. 
chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. It begins this way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Remember, Paul's writing this letter to the church in Corinth when they are so puffed up in their knowledge, so puffed up in their wisdom, so puffed up in their own pride. Remember chapter 1, this is what he wrote to them. He's digging into them. He says, where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So now he's really digging into them in chapter 13. He starts off, look, if you've got tongues, if you've got, you can speak in all sorts of tongues. If you've got prophetic powers, if you've got knowledge, if you've got wisdom, if you've got all of that, but have not love, there's nothing. And he even goes another step. He takes on people who put their faith in how religious or how pious they are. It says this. He says, if I give away all I have, There are people who say, oh, you should see my tax return. Look at how much I gave to charity last year. Or I built that wing of the hospital. Or I built that wing of the church. Or there are people who might not even brag like that, but they'll they'll go to their own death saying, look how good of a Christian I am. I'm even going to be burned at the stake. That's what he's getting at here, right? So he lays all of that bare. He says, look, if you take a scale and you put on one side all of those things that you think are so wonderful, the knowledge, the wisdom, the tongues, the piety, and you put all of that, but if you have not love, nothing. It means nothing. This is the same thing, by the way, that Solomon was trying to get at in Ecclesiastes. So in Ecclesiastes, he says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, right? Just like the Corinthians. I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. It's all vanity. So you could put it together and say it like this. Being a Christian without love is vanity. A striving after the wind. Okay. So Paul makes us stop here, right? Makes us ponder a little bit. That's his intent. Actually, not just a little bit, a lot. And then he says, 
let me tell you what love is. It says this, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. There are 15 characteristics that he lists about love, what love is and what love is not. And I want you to notice that these are not feeling words. They're actually verbs. They're actions. So there are 15 characteristics that describe the actions of love. In our day and age, right? In our day and age, love is all about the feeling. Or it's just this abstract, abstract thought. Or it's an ideology. And by the way, when you hear that love is love is love, you get an emotion, an abstract thought, and an ideology. But love is not just an emotion. It's not just an abstract thought. It is not just an ideology. John MacArthur put, puts it this way. He says, if you want to be technical about it, the Bible never defines love in terms of abstracts in terms of attitudes, in terms of feeling, in terms of ideology. It never defines, never defines love. It only describes love in action. Because love is not an abstract feeling. Love is not really an attitude. Love is a deed. Love is an activity. So with that in mind, let us describe love in greater detail. He starts off with this way in the positive. He says, love is patient and kind. Now, we get these words, but they don't have the depth and breadth that uh, in our culture, what Paul is talking about. I mean, patient, right? We think patience as a very short duration. There's the old joke. I mean, how long does it take before uh, when a light turns red and before the, or sorry, I messed up the joke, right? How long does it take before the light turns green and the person behind you honks? A second, right? That's how you measure a second. Sometimes it's less than a second. Man, it's a good thing I'm not doing stand-up comedy. Blew that joke. But that's that's the level that we have in patience in this world. But a better idea of the word of patient is really long-suffering. It's about a love that endures suffering over a long time. And it actually ties into verse 7, love bears all things. So love will suffer long-suffering, rudeness, neglect, faithfulness. It will suffer mocking, rejection, even abandonment. That's the greater sense of what we're talking about when we say love is patient. And think about the nation of Israel. Not now, but certainly in the Old Testament. God took them out of slavery, didn't He? He brought them 
all the way into this journey into the promised land. And they complained. They were faithless. Even when they got to the promised land, they became faithless. They rejected God. And yet God was patient, long-suffering with the nation of Israel. This is actually good news that this comes from God, right? Because how many of us have to have God's long-suffering love, His patient love, when we fail, when we fall, when we ignore, when we reject? God still loves us. This is what we're talking about when we talk about being patient. You see, it is actually... It's an essential characteristic. They call it attribute. Characteristic of the love of God. That patient, long-suffering. This, this love, though, that we're talking about, which I, I referred to in the very beginning here, is not that romantic love, right? It's not the puppy love. It is called agape love. See, agape love. It's the self-sacrificial that comes from God Himself because God is love. And this is the love that is being expressed here in this chapter and actually throughout Scripture. One commentator put it this way, true love reveals itself in loving the unlovable. For this is what God does. God always comes to us first in love before we come to Him in repentance and faith. And then he quotes First uh, John. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So when we say, and Paul writes, love is patient. It has a depth and breadth to it that comes from God Himself. So we say love is patient and kind. And just as the word patient has a depth and breadth to it, so does kindness. We normally think of kindness, again, on a very small scale. Like it's kind to open the door for somebody, you know, or to hold the door open. Or when somebody is in the parking lot and their cart gets away from them in the grocery store, you go after it so it doesn't bump into another car. You know, right? Those are things of kindness. Those are good things to do, by the way. But that's not what we're talking about here when we're talking about kindness. Now, I know when people read the Old Testament, they always think of God as the wrathful God, right? The the angry God. So many people think of that. But God is truly described as kind, as loving. So let's take a look at this word that's used for kindness. It it shows up in Ruth. Ruth chapter 2, verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. But this word kindness there is actually, the, the Hebrew word is hesed. It's used over 250 times in the Old Testament and expresses part of God's nature. Not just something He does, but something He is. 
He is this. And it's a difficult word to translate, and thus it gets translated multiple ways. Kindness, loving kindness, mercy, compassion, grace, love, and faithfulness. So we had our psalm. Psalm 118 says this. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His hesed, His steadfast love, endures forever. When Moses appeared to give the law the second time, uh, I'm sorry, when God appeared to Moses to give the law the second time, he described himself this way from Exodus 34. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. Steadfast love for thousands. Now, this thousands is actually meant to say a thousand generations. But it's not even a particular time period. It's that his steadfast love endures for such a long time that it can't even be counted. That's a way to express that. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And God's steadfast love, His loving kindness, His mercy and grace, does for others, does for you, does for me what we cannot do ourselves. That is the love of God. So when we say love is patient and kind, it has a depth and breadth to it that we just don't explore very often. It is long-suffering, and it is kind by offering mercy and grace. This is love, and this is an essential nature of who God is, and He abounds in it. And thus, to be a follower of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, we should be filled with and abound also in the love that God is. This is what Paul is writing to the Corinthians who are so full of divisions. Is this not more, the more excellent way? This is the excellent way because it's God's way. So if we stop right there, right? If we stop there today, this should be enough for you to ponder for the next 10 years. To grow into that particular love. And yet, there are some more things that he writes about. He says, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. You notice that there's a, a fairly long list of nots, right? Don't do this. Just like our reading from Leviticus, God could have just said, love your neighbor as yourself. But you notice there was a lot of thou shall not beforehand. Why do we have all of those thou shall nots, the law? is because we always look for loopholes. Right? Growing up, if you had a sibling, did your parents ever say, stop arguing, get along? Right? 
And then you both nodded and said, okay. And then one of you, I don't know which one, but one of you did this. You just stared at your sibling. And then your sibling said, they're looking at me. And you're like, oh, I didn't do anything. I'm just sitting here. Do you ever have that, right? That's a loophole, isn't it? And we look for loopholes in this. You see, love is patient and kind equates with a gospel message. That God, in his long-suffering patience and his steadfast love, gave his only son so that our sins would be forgiven and that we'd be restored. That's the gospel. And he could have stopped right there, but he also has to give the law because we do look for loopholes. So he says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Now, we could do a whole sermon on that, but here's what happens. The law will constrain you. It will poke you and say, well, that's not the right way. That's not the thing to do. But it's the gospel that actually gives you the life. So to be focusing on being patient and kind, that's what we want to be able to focus on. And you know the Holy Spirit will poke you when you're not being that patient and kind. The love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. So now we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on the knots. They're there for you. What I do want to focus on here is to clarify verse 6 and 7. It says this, Love does not, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So the better sense of this, of wrongdoing, is unrighteousness. So let's make it really simple. Love does not rejoice when sin is glorified and uplifted. Love does not rejoice when evil is called good and good is called evil. Love cannot rejoice in that regard. Love rejoices in truth. Now, on, you know, it has truth in the lowercase, but I would put truth in the uppercase here, capital T. Love rejoices when God's word is proclaimed in all of its truth. Love rejoices when somebody repents and comes to saving faith in Christ Jesus. So you can't say, I love without truth. They have to go hand in hand. To say, I love without truth is to reject who God is. So again, you've heard it said, we are to speak the truth in love. They must go hand in hand. So love rejoices when God is glorified. That's what love does. Now, if somebody is doing evil, we should call that out. If somebody is living a lie, we need to be merciful. And to have that conversation with them. Because love rejoices with truth. Let's go to verse 7 here. 
Verse 7 says, love bears all things. And we've already talked about that, which is the patient long-suffering. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So we need to clarify this, believes all things, hopes all things. Love does not mean that you literally believe anything that anybody ever tells you. Love is not to be gullible that way. We are actually to be discerning. And we are told to have discernment and spiritual discernment throughout our lives. So we can't just take in. We can certainly hear. We can certainly listen. We can listen with compassion, but not to believe what God has certainly said is wrong. So, Love does, love is compassionate, but it is also discerning. And love, it says this, hopes all things. So what does it mean that hopes all things? It, let's put it this way. Love holds on to the promises of God. Love holds on to the words and promises of God Love believes in what Jesus has promised. Remember, Jesus was at the graveside of Lazarus, and he was with Martha. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He put forth a promise And our hope is in the promise that he has given us. You see, true love is the confidence that he, uh, true hope is the confidence that he who has begun a good work will carry it through to the end. That's the hope. Ephesians chapter 1. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which you are called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And then Hebrews, full of hope. Chapter 6. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And in chapter 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. You see, I have a hope you should have a hope also that is assured and secure because our hope is in Him who has made the promise. And because our hope is in Him who has made the promise, we have a hope in love that endures forever. And this is where we must find ourselves, a love that endures forever. Go to our scripture reading. It says, love never ends. As far as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. You know, there are a lot of people who try to live forever, right? They're trying to endure forever. There's this billionaire who's trying to do all this stuff with his body to get back down to a 
I, I don't know, 18-year-old level or something like that. But he spends all of his life, right? Actually, I would like to have him hear this message because I think it's all vanity. You get no sense of love from this guy whatsoever. But I mean, think about it. Throughout the ages, people have been trying to live forever. The pyramids were built for the pharaohs to live forever. How many of you can uh, name one pharaoh? King Tut, right? Yeah. Steve Martin song, right? It's King Tut. But that's about all we, we remember about him. And occasionally there's a thing that goes around from the museums. That's it. What about uh, Caesar? You know, there's a salad, right? Salad dressing, Caesar salad. Isn't that Caesar salad? And by the way, which, which Caesar are we talking about here? There were multiple Caesars, or Genghis Khan, or any one of those. King Solomon, he was one of the richest people around. He wasn't one of the richest, he was the richest. It, in calculating, if you did it in today's dollars, his wealth would have been about $2 trillion. Let's say even half that was wrong, right? Just a trillion dollars. Richest person around. And he still says, that's just all vanity. It's just a chasing after the wind. And Solomon says, where does he put his hope? You know, he writes about that. He says, ultimately, it's in God and God alone. Because what is eternal is the wrong question. Who is eternal is the right question. And who is eternal is God himself. He is everlasting to everlasting. God is eternal and God is love. Therefore, love is eternal. Now this, I I mean, I, I really have not explored this such in depth as I did this time. And it just, it blew my mind. How's that? That love is eternal. Not this abstract idea, not this feeling, not this ideology, but God being love is eternal and thus love is eternal. And so when we take our place in glory, we are entering into eternal love. It's it's just astounding for me to think about it that way. Look, prophecies are going to end. Tongues are going to end. Greater knowledge. The things that we hold on to here at earth will all end. Even hope and faith will end. Now, you might say, well, how will faith and hope end? When you are in the presence of Him, in His glory, your hope is completed. You're with Him. You have no more need of faith because that faith has now been perfected. And you are in His glory. You are in His love. So when you come to your time and you are received into His glory, all hope, all faith is no longer needed because it has been perfected in Him who is perfect. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest is love. 
And as you can see, the greatest is love because it endures forever. Now, you and I need to continue to grow, to mature in this knowledge of love and living out this love. Paul said this, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. For whatever reason, when I was young, growing up, I really did have a romanticized version of love. I don't know if you did too. You know, you watch all the TV shows and all of that and running through the fields, flowers, and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> right? We all have that. And I grew up and I, I kept that for a long time. And even when we first got married, uh, and Heidi will attest to this, hello, my love, um, that I still didn't have a mature idea of what love is. So we've been married 32 years now, and uh, I have grown <laughs> in my understanding of what love is. I, I've put away some of the foolish things, the romanticized things, and uh, now love has been forged with sacrifice, with giving of self to another. This is love, right? Does it mean I am perfect in my love? Am I perfected in my love? No. No. There's still room to grow, isn't there? But this is the call that each one of us has, is to grow in that love that God has for us. The mature love. The love that is truly patient in all things. That is full of grace, compassion, mercy, forgiveness. This is the love. This is the more excellent way. So now, faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So I would like you to reflect. Reflect on your journey of love in Jesus. First of all, reflect on His steadfast love for you, right? His love endures forever. His love endures forever. And reflect how you have grown in love for Him and then love for others. Amen.